Alberta Prosperity Project is dedicated to protecting Alberta's world-class energy sector and has invited Alex Epstein, American author of the best-selling new book, Fossil Future, to speak on the importance of fossil fuels and the vital role they play in our economy. Join us on Friday, October 28th at the Weston Calgary Airport for Beef and Beer with Alex Epstein. You will not want to miss this. Buy your tickets at www.albertaprosperityevents.com today. Hey, everyone. Hi, Alexa. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. And you? Good. Thank you. So welcome back, everyone, to the evening live stream for Rebel News here in Ottawa. And I have with me, once again, future Rebel News contributor, <laughs> Tom Morazzo. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So once again, Tom is almost always in live stream. Tom, you were one of the Freedom Convoy organizers. Um, so you had to deal with the city. So how how, how did you feel today? Uh, ha, ha, sorry about that. Listening to how the city felt dealing with you guys. Yeah, it was actually um, quite an interesting day. I, you know, for the longest time, even from day one after the the testimony originally, mm-hmm. I had repeatedly said uh, over and over that I was very concerned about the fact that at no level of government was there any will to to talk to us. And when you listen to the testimony today from the OPP, um, it's really interesting to hear that they actually seem to be uh, advocating to talk to us or to set the conditions to get some really right. good, solid dialogue going. And if you watch the testimony of Brandon Miller today, it was just incredible because, mm-hmm. uh, or not the testimony, but his, yeah, his cross-examination right. of, of the uh, OPP officer. Um, it was incredible because he had... Uh, shown in the evidence Mm -hmm. uh, a memo that the OPP had drafted recommending that we actually have a a meaningful uh, negotiation. And and I don't like to use the word negotiation. I I prefer to use the word like a dialogue with the government. And uh, the federal government outright Mm -hmm. rejected it and then declare the emergency act yeah you know yeah 100 percent. that, that yeah. was such a shocking moment a, a huge mic drum and we'll, we'll get back to that later when when we talk about uh, marcel marcel mm-hmm. Baudin. but right we're, we're, so i just want to remind everyone that you can always chat with us through the uh, chat function i believe on rumble and other platforms that we are on uh, if you want to give us your thoughts about the emergencies act inquiry that is happening right now here in ottawa or anything in general i think you're starting to get very familiar with uh with tom at this point <laughs> so today we had two witnesses the first one was uh with the ops i believe mm-hmm. we had R- russell lucas you know it's so it's yes. so funny when yes. you spend your whole day life sh- life reading <laughs> the whole yeah. thing yeah. when you spell the when you spend the whole day just staying updated with everything in your, your mind uh, yes. blanks when you need to talk about this and then we also have a second witness with the opp marcel uh, baudin mm-hmm. who okay. spoke to us about very shocking uh sh- shocking things uh alexa first time that you're really following closely the commission up to now how how did you feel watching everything unfold but i i, I need to say that i was uh, traveling everybody you know for the um World Health Summit in Berlin, so I needed to catch up when I came back. Um, but I was really shocked uh, when I actually listened since the beginning what happened because what they say is actually not we what we noticed on the mm. ground every day, and every I have the impression that all the witnesses today they talk about communication, but I think the biggest problem was the communication between them. Because Mm 
at the end of the day, we didn't notice any changing in the police officer on the ground until that the the give the first warning to all the truck drivers telling them, I think it was a blue paper. Probably, Tom, you remember that, the blue paper that we were giving to all trucks saying that if you are not living right now, you are facing criminal offense and you can be arrested. And after that, they gave, I think the day after the red um, paper, telling them that this their last chance to live or they will be arrested and they, they will have a huge consequences on them. But before that, police were really uh, smiling and really uh, helpful to every people that were there at the protest. And when we were talking to them and asking them, oh, do, did you notice any violence, any um, trouble? And they were like, no, not so far. And so what I saw so far from the testimony of the witnesses is not accurate of what mm -hmm. happened on the ground. What is your point of view for you, Tom? Well, it's it's really interesting because there is a um, a very, very noticeable difference in the level of uh, professionalism mm -hmm. and attitude between the Ottawa police and the OPP. Mm. And really seeing and listening to the testimony today, but I, I have to say the first witness today, um, I think his name is in, Russell, uh, Russell, Russell, Russell Lucas. Uh, Lucas. <laughs> Thank you. He was, um, I, I actually made a comment to him at the end of his testimony in the day. I just saw him in the hall really, or in the aisle really quickly. And I said, you know, had our request to talk to an inspector mm -hmm. been granted and they sent you to us, I don't think most of this would have even happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would have progressed to the point of the violence that, that we saw on those last two days. And, you know, there was, there's also comments too, where they, they kept alluding to the fact that, you know, in, the, in previous testimony that the communications broke down, communication broke down mm -hmm. and that's categorically false. What actually happened was I had requested, instead of talking to the two police liaison sergeants that I was dealing with, uh, I had requested through the OPP liaison officer that, and through the OPS officer mm -hmm. that I didn't deal with them anymore. I wanted somebody of a higher rank. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because the testimony of uh, Inspector Lucas today revealed that had we been granted that, I mm -hmm. think a lot of this would have been very, very different. And I think he, after listening to his testimony, would have been the right person for the job, right temperament, professional, straightforward, uh, very deliberate thinking man. Um, things would have been a lot different than they they actually turned out. Mm -hmm. And now you contrast that, not, not contrast, actually you compare it to the testimony we heard from the OPP today, yeah, Marcel, yeah. Marcel. And it was incredible because, um, you know, I was saying to somebody today that if the movie ever gets done or the screenplay about this convoy gets mm -hmm. written, this is the way I see it. You've got a group on of, of the protesters and you have a group of, of uh, law enforcement and they were all trying to come to a good uh, resolution to this entire thing. But at the top, you had the political class mm -hmm. that were interfering with both groups. 
And so we ended up getting the the Emergency Act was declared because of the political interference mm -hmm. at every level of government. It right. seems everything from the municipal, and we heard the testimony of the mayor and the councillors, we are possibly going to hear testimony from the Ontario government if if Doug Ford no, uh, well, he's, he's getting trying to fight too. Yeah, he's yeah. getting summons, but he's actually trying to fight yeah. the summons to to come it's in. A, in a, unbelievable yeah. lack of transparency. But yeah. you, you mentioned testimony of the first witness, Russell Lucas. Let's throw, let's see what he had to say about misinformation earlier today. <laughs> um, in your witness statement, you noted that there was uh, an issue with misinformation and disinformation and its impact on uh, the policing of the Freedom Convoy. Uh, could I just ask you to expand on that? Yes, and there's a, there's a couple of really good examples. So the I've learned a lot, and uh, the 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 power of social media has evolved, and it continues to evolve. And when when we look at when somebody sends out, uh, I'll call mis. We try to put out information from legitimate sources and you try to make sure that they're verified. So we always refer people back to our website to look for true information. Misinformation comes when people are sending out unintentionally wrong information and then it gets shared. And then you're trying to put that genie back in the bottle. And then the other issue was the disinformation where people are knowingly putting out false information and uh, which is drawing on resources or, or creating a different narrative that you're trying to, 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 to deal with. So like, for example, the, the wooden fence that's up protecting the construction site on Parliament Hill was being shared repeatedly over and over again, saying they're fortifying Parliament Hill in advance. Of, of the rival of the convoys and it was inflaming people but in your you're trying to get the information out through your plts and it's there it's construction there's a big pit on the other side we don't want people to get hurt and that's that was a, a big challenge to try and stay ahead of it's always a big topic for everyone in the political sphere and just today we saw Bill C-11, which is supposed to allegedly fight misinformation, promoting content online. Uh, Pablo Rodriguez's favorite since censorship bill uh, go through second reading in the Senate. So, you know, it's such a big issue. But from the way I see it, the biggest source of misinformation we've seen from the beginning of the convoy was from the side of the government. The government was saying that the protesters were not willing to engage. They were irrational. We saw Jim Watson. I believe it was Jim Watson who said that protesters were irrational, which I scrum him on, by the way, afterwards. Um, and yet then we see in the evidence that is shown in front of the committee that Keith Wilson, the lawyer representing the protesters, was willing to engage with the city, was willing to you know, move the trucks, get the truck moved. We even saw protesters say that they were willing to get the truck moved as well. And not only does the evidence show that, but today the editorialized version of the event shows it as well. Because we saw from email messages between, I believe, Lucas and the government, or Lucas and DOPP, we saw them talk about how um, protesters were willing to move, protesters were willing to engage with the government, were willing to have negotiations. So it shows that even in their own editorialized view mm -hmm. of the situation, they saw that protesters were willing to engage. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think that's what you probably felt on the ground as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. There there was a will, um, but again, you know what I've stated before is that each truck is an individual owner operator. Yeah, and exactly. we saw that our role was to to always focus on what we were there to do, which was to end the federal 
COVID-19 mandates mm-hmm. for all federal employees and really, you know, to to put the pressure on the government to end all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the belief there too is because a lot of people have been uh, coming out after me on Twitter saying, or, or social media saying, yeah, but they were provincial mandates. Well, I'm sorry, but there were federal one. mandates yeah. Yeah. and the leadership of this country starts at the top. And if the federal mandates would have ended, then clearly the provinces would have started to relax it too, because it's the federal government that started it and everybody else followed suit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the intention was to, to always relieve as much pressure on the residents as possible, mm-hmm. but maximize the pressure on the federal government. Right. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's a hard balance to achieve. I believe that's why you guys were willing to move to Wellington Street instead yes. of staying in the yeah. original streets in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. No, you, will, you, mm-hmm. you will probably agree with me, Tom, that, you know, at the beginning when, all the truck arrived, um, I think it was on 29. It was completely a chaos, okay? It was like everybody was parked a little bit everywhere. And it was not well made. But I remember during the night, waking up the morning, and all the truck was aligned, and they actually make an empty line through it for, like, the circulation. And I really mm-hmm. remember that that all happened during the night. After that, probably you had a discussion with the mayor. I don't know, but I don't really recall which day it was. But I, re- I recall that the day after, every single truck was really well parked, mm-hmm. and they they make like an empty line for um, the emergency uh, car. Mm-hmm and uh, police car to pass through mm-hmm. everywhere. I think I recall one street that was really blocked or maybe mm-hmm. two, but that's it. All of the other well, even, uh, street yeah. was, was, was okay. Even the testimonies today and even yesterday as well from Lucas today and other testimonies we've heard also confirm what you're saying, Alexa, that the, the, the streets were not fully clogged. There were lanes still open. The traffic was under control. The highways were dealt with. All the testimonies point to that. And I just want to go back to the misinformation things once again. A lot of people said that the ambulances weren't able to, to go through because the streets That's were clogged. That's part of misinformation. That's the misinformation from the leftist point of view in front of government. So no one's going to call it, call it out. Also, earlier today, we saw Lucas, quote-unquote, say that he understood the role of the Freedom Convoy to raise awareness and show discontent in regards to government overreach in relations to COVID-19 mandates. Mm-hmm. But an enormous amount of people said that you guys are coming here to overthrow the government. <laughs> but even, yeah. even Russell admits yeah. that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's... Uh... This is all optics, right? And, 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 you know, you've heard the phrase perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And so in the, when the mainstream media has really the largest megaphone that mm-hmm. they can yeah. use and to shout on behalf of, of the federal government. And, and, and I'll, I'll try to, you know, bring the point back to the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I've already alluded to it about the fact they didn't want to talk, but when the federal government is creating this narrative, and they're using the the uh, government-funded liberal media to shout this at the top of the lo- their lungs and, and bombard people in their homes through their TVs with it. Uh, of course, that that narrative actually starts to work. And it's interesting because I don't think that a lot of the we've noticed that the legacy media is not actually covering any of the testimony yeah. now. And so the megaphone that they used to vilify the convoy, they're not using 
to uh, vindicate the convoy right now. And so uh, there's another thing that I actually noticed uh, recently throughout this whole thing. It kind of just came to me the, this morning is that there's our lawyers, mm-hmm. um, Brendan Miller and Bathsheba Vandenberg. And then there's the JCCF lawyers. Yeah. There's the democracy, the democracy fund democracy. lawyers. And there's one other law firm, but they don't get a lot of airtime. What's really interesting to me is that we are the only group that are actually focusing on the issues of the justification for the emergency act. We're the only mm-hmm. group, mm-hmm. all of the other lawyers, the other teams are focusing on basically covering their asses. Mm-hmm. This is a big exercise in CYA and that's what they're all doing. So when you listen to the testimony, their testimony doesn't really talk about mm-hmm. the justification of using the emergency act. It, it, it talks about how do I transfer responsibility to somebody yeah. else for the decision that I made. And I think that's the reason why chief slowly got a counsel because he wants to make sure that Yes, he's safe from everything that if people try to put the blame on him, he has someone there to represent him and fight, yes. fight back against him. Not well, 100%. It's so interesting because you guys are actually the only one there to focus on civil liberties. Yes. And the issue mm-hmm. of whether or not it was justified instead of focusing on feelings and yes. microaggression. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we should throw to another clip from uh, today's testimony from Lucas saying that the direction that came down was we're not giving them one inch. Mm. So the lost opportunity you say is because you could not use PLT is I'm just trying to understand what, what happened, what was the lost opportunity and what caused it? So, and, and there, again, so when they had that first, again, this is the earliest days of the protests with Rideau Sussex. If they had the opportunity to bring them out of Rideau Sussex, it would have freed up that whole side of the canal. And the, 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 the direction that came down was we're not giving them one inch. So, that's what we worked with. Um, and then again, so we're, then we're spread thin and now we're the next few days, it's just about building a stabilization plan so that we're not burning our members out and that a, uh, getting enough rotation of food and things like that to, uh, before we can get into the next phase of an operation. We're not giving them one inch. What does that mean to you? Well, that that says to me, uh, that statement right there, what it clearly says to me is that certain elements of the OPS were focusing on finding the balance again between people's legal right to peacefully assemble mm-hmm. versus the political class and maybe some of the leadership within OPS mm-hmm. that from day one were setting all of the conditions in place for extraordinary powers mm-hmm. so that they could go in and break the convoy. So you could see by that statement to me and, and the expression on him, and, and that's why I was referring to him today saying, had I been or we been given the inspector that we requested mm-hmm. and had we been given him, I think we would have had a very different outcome because to me, listening to his testimony, he seemed like a reasonable measured person who wanted to make the balance between public safety, mm-hmm. public order, but the public's right to peacefully, peacefully assemble. protest. Yeah. And, and this is, this is the thing. And you can tell in a statement that elements within the, his own department mm-hmm. and the political class in the town didn't want that. They never wanted mm-hmm. to communicate. They didn't want to be seen as negotiating. They didn't want to, they definitely didn't want to listen. 
Uh, and I mean, if, if you really want to know the evidence of why they didn't want to listen, well, look at the facts. Mm -hmm. They only ever, you know, they say that this is the largest protest that they've ever had in this city. And the highest ranking person they ever let us speak to was a sergeant who's a part-timer mm -hmm. on the police liaison team. Yeah, and when, when you talk about un unwillingness to cooperate, I'm trying to hold on to this clip until, until the very end because there's so much more to cover today. But we saw later during Marcel uh, Bo Baudin, Marcel Baudin, Marcel Baudin's testimony <laughs> that the federal government was given a plan to you know, be able to, to negotiate and deal with the convoy peacefully. And right after they were given it was, this plan. It was written, the plan, yeah. and I got to say, the plan was written by the OPP. Yeah, exactly. The OPP mm -hmm. wrote the, the, their own plan. It was given to the federal government. And right after seeing that plan, they invoked the Emergencies Act. Yeah. So they were briefed. Uh, and that's what Brendan said in his, in his exit mm -hmm. um, statement with uh, the OPP, is that because this, uh, Baudin did not know that his memo or his document that he had written because he was negotiating with a, a deputy minister. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, that's who he was interfacing with at the, in the PMO's office uh, or one of the deputy ministers and his memo was forwarded. and cabinet was actually briefed mm -hmm. on his memo on his plan and they outright rejected it. And they chose the emergency act, which is, you know, Interesting because we have seen in Brendan Miller's opening comments again, and then when he was cross-examining the intelligence, the, the head of intelligence for the OPP, on two different occasions, when Brendan Miller got out there, he demonstrated mm -hmm. clearly that they could not meet the standard of the Section 2 of the CSIS Act. Thereby, it was illegal to use the Emergency Act. Mm -hmm. And and so really what more do we really have to talk about? Yeah. We, we've, we've seen the evidence. I mean, there are most cases right there, unless you want to focus there. on microaggression, yeah. the impact on residents. So, so we know now that they were aware that the leader and the protester wanted to talk, to mm -hmm. have a discussion with the government. So now it's, it's, it's obviously, we know that they were aware about, about that and they refused. They say no, no ne negotiation. But they knew that having this discussion will have end that protest right away. Mm -hmm. Because probably we will have some discussion because a little bit after the, the, the convoy finished, we saw the mandate lifting a little bit everywhere. And like, mm -hmm. we, we saw some changing in, in life, okay? But having just this discussion between the government and the protester will have changed so much in how this protest will have finished. But they mm -hmm. refuse it. And I just want you to know your point of view of the fact that the government was aware and they refused to mm -hmm. agree to have a discussion with you and Tabaranich. Well, it's interesting because why would a an elected official whose mandate, it's actually, I, I looked it up, I even posted it on Twitter, the terms of that's reference, right, the true. terms of that, yeah. employment for being a the member of parliament is, your mandate is to talk to constituents mm -hmm. and hear grievances. And so the fact that the federal government outright rejected any suggestion to meet with us, they viewed us not as citizens, mm -hmm. not as voters, not as people that had a constitutional right to assemble. Mm -hmm. They viewed us as terrorists, yeah. their own people. That's 
ridiculous. And um, I, I, I'm offended by it. I'm appalled by it. Mm-hmm. And I would have thought, though, one of the things that I would have thought was, you know, they knew that they had, uh, like myself, a retired military officer. They had uh, police officers. We were all publicly known. We were not hiding yeah. our careers or our identities. And yet they still they didn't look at our professionalism, our resumes, where the background we came yeah. from, and look at that and say, you know what, maybe we should think twice when you've got former military officers, former police officers mm-hmm. coming out and speaking out against us. Maybe um, maybe we want to take these people seriously, yeah. right? Like, we had doctors there amongst us. We had lawyers. You know, we had military. We had police. We had all sorts of... And and I and I don't like to to classify it this way, but we had a lot of white collar people mm-hmm. amongst mm-hmm. our ranks. We had a lot of blue collar people. We were all meshed together, working together. And so when you've got the two groups coming together for one common cause, I don't mm-hmm. know how the government ignores that. Well, it's it's always easier to vilify your opposition, yes. even though yeah. they're clearly not what you say they are, and even though you're you know that they are not what you say they are. Uh, we're gonna go to an ad really quick. When we come back, we're gonna look at Marco Mendicino's justification of the use of the never seen before anti-terrorism law called the Emergencies Act. Thursday in Ottawa, the Public Order Emergencies Commission kicked off. It's an inquiry into the actions of the government, or at least it's supposed to be. The inquiry is allegedly meant to examine whether or not the government was justified in invoking an anti-terrorism law called the Emergencies Act to euthanize peaceful anti-COVID mandate protests taking place in the nation's capital, but also in other locations across the country. Now, the convoy to Ottawa spent nearly four weeks completely peacefully demonstrating against lockdowns and vaccine passports. It evolved into a nearly month-long street party replete with bouncy castles, hot tubs, street hockey, concerts, and community outreach efforts like soup kitchens and food for the homeless. Rebel News, as we were for the convoy to Ottawa, will be there on the ground in Ottawa to cover the commission from the beginning to the end because you just cannot trust the mainstream media. And in fact, (laughs) that's what today's report is about. We've rented an Airbnb in Ottawa where we're sending a rotating cast of journalists to report on the public order emergency inquiry. Now you can help support our efforts there at truckercommission.com. The mainstream media's reporting about the alleged foreign nature of the convoy funding was cited as a reason the Liberals invoked the Emergencies Act to arrest, detain, and seize the property, bank accounts, and assets of anti-Trudeau demonstrators. Pass, I'll sleep. Oh, sorry, we're back now. So I guess ju- just to begin, we'll take a look at what our great, amazing, now it's Bill C-11 is about to probably pass. I have to say that our amazing public safety minister, Marco Mendicino, is talking about his justification of the use of the Emergencies Act. Um, the, with regards to the question about uh, Commissioner Lucky's uh, correspondence, um, none of that, of course, changes her testimony before the Standing Committee uh, of Public Safety last spring, where she said very clearly that the Emergencies Act was needed uh, to resolve the situation on the ground, not only in Ottawa, but across the country, both peacefully and swiftly. And 
this was a government decision. Um, we uh, listened carefully to the, uh, the array advice that we were getting at the time. We consulted uh, with various partners, uh, provincially, territorially, et cetera. But we took the decision because it was necessary. We took the decision because this was a situation that was without precedent. We took the decision because the impacts to Canadians, to workers, to families, to vulnerable citizens who required essential health care treatment, including, as we've heard, those who were uh, needing uh, chemotherapy at the time, um, compelled us to act. And it worked. And now we're going to continue to cooperate with the Commission to make sure that we take whatever lessons are necessary. I think if Mendocino really cared about the impact on Canadians and farmers and workers, he would have lifted the mandates a little bit earlier. I think that's the reason why you guys were here, right? I. It was sorry, but me, I kept like stopping laughing when I heard him saying, "Oh, it was so needed for like stopping honking or stopping like pollution coming from trucks, and really needed from coming from uh, citizens that say that they were harassed and attacked." When I was on the ground and I was asking them when they came to me and say, "This is outrage! Outrage! What is going on? They are." Um, a danger for us and I say oh can you uh, uh, explain me like a situation you you faced it and say it's not happening to me but I know someone that happened to someone that you know I've read in the media I've read in the media exactly so <laughs> yeah. I I never found someone who were capable to testimony their own story about something that happened to them facing mm -hmm. uh, the, the the protester not not at all I I and I tried to 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 find someone because I'm here for reporting both sides of the story, and and none of them were able to testify something related to the protester. Well, that's that's the whole story of the commission. That's the whole point of the commission. It's a, well, Jim Watson saying that there's protester that got their mask ripped off, yeah. but saying that he saw it in the media. That's the whole point of yeah. what's happening. And 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 this is this is the really disturbing part, right? We're we're talking about violence and. You know, uh, when questioned yesterday, Chief Bell uh, said he, you know, we, we looked at the data. There was only five arrests in 17 days. And actually, it wasn't 16. It was actually 17 days because there was days that mm -hmm. they didn't actually have acts of violence. Five. There was five arrests for violence up until for 17 days leading up to the to the emergency act and then when pressed what he meant by violence, he said it was more the the feeling of violence right and it wasn't a real thing so mm -hmm. i got a question for you and you raise your hand if you've ever been shot in the leg point blank by a ballistic projectile there we go thank you right <laughs> so here we are we're talking about violence and as far as i'm concerned the only violence that i saw was what happened to you, Alexa, what happened to um, Candace and the other gentlemen that were run over by the horse, people that were beaten, Chris Deering, who's a friend of mine who is a veteran, and many other veterans, Jeff Averly, who was mm -hmm. also beaten by the police and all the civilians that were lined up. And we heard testimony again today where the Ottawa police, uh, or sorry, yesterday when Bell was on the stand, Bell was saying, um, you know, he, he kind of contradicted himself in, in terms of, uh, where the people were dropped off because Brendan, we looked at the place where the people were arrested, then told they wouldn't be charged and then driven out to the board off, of the city. Yeah. And he acknowledged there was no building there. Yeah. Right. And that they were basically 
abducted and then dropped off without charge. Mm-hmm. Well, that, you, you weren't there yesterday, but that's one of the things that your your lawyer Keith Wilson spoke yeah. to us about yes. the story of a third year old mother. Yes, who yes. was arrested, violently beaten up by the police, then brought kilometers away from Ottawa and then just dropped up there. Yeah. So, so that's actual violence, not the feeling or the perception of violence that we're talking about. Right. And so we've, we have noticed along the lines of, you know, as soon as somebody gets on the stand and gives testimony based on the lexicon that they use or the vocabulary, you know, right away, which way they're going to try to spin their entire testimony. For sure. Uh, That is the lens that they're looking at everything. And maybe that's what they truly believe. Um, but I don't know how you're dealing with a domestic, which you perceive to be emer- an emergency in your mm-hmm. town, but you're at home every night watching CBC. Yeah. That part I don't get. Well, you know, I don't think that's actually what they believe because once again, you see their editorialized version of yeah. what was happening. They were talking about yes. peace, uh, the protesters as you know, peaceful protesters that were willing to cooperate. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. another yeah. thing once again. But uh, no, definitely, definitely a lot of good stuff from um, from yeah. the first witness. Now to move on to the second witness, Tom. I learned today you are extremely famous. I heard from uh, Marcel Dubien that if you had left the city, 60% of the protesters would have left we'll as well. Follow yeah. you. <laughs> no, exactly. So pretty interesting stuff from um, from Marcel Dubien. But I, I had a question for you because mm-hmm. you were one of the people that had to deal with the police and basically the police liaison team. And we heard you... Uh, What's his name? Baudin. We heard Baudin say that, well, basically the way he was talking about the police liaison team, the PLT, he was talking about them as if they were lazy, as if they weren't doing the best job because they were often just together uh, talking to to each other in in a room. What was your experience uh, dealing with the PLT? So so from from what I saw, um, like I had a bit of a different perception of what he was trying to say. And... Yeah, You know, a lot of the stuff, I, and this is really kind of fascinating to me because when I, I, I really do feel like when I'm listening to the OPP versus OPS, it is story. such a contrast <laughs> yeah. in, in a difference of, 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 I don't want to say professionalism because I've seen a few members of OPS that were professional in, in some of the testimony, uh, like the one that we had the, the first witness today, but there's just a difference in, in, uh, mentality. I, I really felt like the OPP mm-hmm. had made every possible attempt. Like I said, to strike that balance between, Allowing people to peacefully protest, but also maintaining public order. Yeah. And I feel like the OPP really struggled against or to try to align with what the OPS was doing because the OPP were kind of free of all the political Mm -hmm. interference. They weren't getting pressured that I've seen from any level of, of government right now. Whereas the OPS had the politicians, including the, uh, the PMO's office right in their shorts the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so you see the, the difference in political interference. Yes. Marcel, uh, and, and I, you know, other than a few comments that he had made today, um, I have to say my gut feeling uh, from the testimony I saw from him was that he was fighting really hard to always keep this safe and responsible mm-hmm. to protect the protesters, protect the police, protect the public. I think that's just my read. I, I'm willing to be wrong on that, but he's one of the ones that surprised me. And, and so did um, Morris when he he and he's OPP as well, the, uh, the the head of intelligence. Very, very different pers- perception mm-hmm. I got coming from yeah. them where they were actually 
they were they were trying to be honest brokers and find the balance for OPS for like no this is all about extraordinary well, I think they power. were still trying while they, while they were doing what you were saying I think they were still trying to pander towards uh, you know the chief of the OPS the chief of, uh, of the Ottawa Police Services yeah. and everything we're saying because uh, Baudin did say that if you guys didn't go home there would be consequences for yes. you he did he did say a few quotes as you were yeah. saying but where I would agree with you is seeing his reaction after he learned that the cabinet didn't, you know, take into consideration his negotiation, yes. suggestion, his mm -hmm. plan suggestion, and instead decided to invoke the emergency. Like, that's a clip that I was yeah. holding off for the whole yeah. night. Let's, the let's take a look at that. Yeah. His, his face is actually... Yeah. He was surprised. Mm -hmm. He was totally caught oh, off yeah. guard by it. Yeah, let's, let, let's take a look at uh, the clip. Well, I, I don't exactly know what data was. It may have been the 10th of January, some, somewhere around, or sorry, February, somewhere around there. Um, but I had been called by Deputy uh, Commissioner DeMarco um, saying that the Deputy Minister of Public Safety Canada was looking to reach out to, uh, to Mia. And then I don't know how that came to be, but ultimately um, that's how that came through. It was from Deputy DeMarco to myself, a call at night, and just saying, this is going to happen with this, is this something that you would be interested in? In assisting us with okay um, but but it was your understanding based on information from your team that there were people who were prepared uh, people on the protester side who were prepared to have this type of meeting yeah like i'm assuming like uh tom marazzo was one name that came forward um tamara lynch was one name that came forward so there was people that had stepped up as being leaders uh and had people following them yeah so i, I don't exactly know what data was made have been the 10th of January, some, somewhere around, or sorry, February, somewhere around there. Um, but I had been called by Deputy uh, Commissioner DeMarco um, saying that the Deputy Minister of Public Safety Canada was looking to reach out to uh, to Mia and then... Yeah, that, that wasn't the right clip. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, still, we, still, we still heard your name in there. Yeah, so e even that there was like this will from from members. So you heard uh, Deputy Minister for, I think, Public Safety was looking to see if there was any space uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of the, the, the federal government to talk to any of us. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, my name being called was sort of an obvious choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had by that point made some public statements saying that mm -hmm. we want to talk to you. So that's not a, that's nothing about me other than yeah. publicly identifying and saying, look, we want to talk. So talk to us. And I had been communicating that uh, through mm -hmm. the OPP as well as through the, um, the OPS. Yeah. And even with, with Steve K, um, you know, there was always a will to talk mm -hmm. and it was honestly, I have to say it was a little bit refreshing to hear um, uh, both in there say that, you know, they were advocating for this, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that again, they were trying to strike that right, that right balance. Right. Right. But we had this political interference again. No, for sure. And I think now, now, that now we actually do have the clip ready. So let's yeah, here take a look at the actual clip from our great lawyer. Well, you're a great lawyer, Brendan Miller time from Alberta. <laughs> I understand yeah. this is the, an email from the Deputy Minister of Public Safety, Rob Stewart, to you, right? Yes. Okay. And in the third sentence on the top paragraph, it says, we have a big meeting this afternoon. Well, this will be discussed. So I really need your input, right? 
Yes. All right. Did you know that that meeting was at 3.30 p.m. and that it was with cabinet and it was the incident response group of the political executive meeting and that your proposal was provided to them? Uh, no. Okay. It was. I can tell you that. And then they invoked the Emergencies Act. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, next. Uh... Just amazing. The way the way Miller closed his laptop yeah. at the same time. You were in the room. How was that feeling for you guys? <laughs> well, I've gotten to know uh, Brendan, and uh, he's a brilliant mind, and he's absolutely has, a, has an outstanding sense of humor. Mm -hmm. He's and, great, yeah. um, you know, I, he, he's also a law professor. Yeah, uh, that's part time true. law professor. And I've asked him, I'm like, Brendan, can I sit in on your classes? Um, I think they'd be great. Like I've learned a lot from, from the whole entire legal team, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm getting my, uh, my law degree through osmosis, just hanging around these brilliant <laughs> minds. Right. And so, but, but, you know, joking aside, it's important that I, I kind of bring that up because I'm not trying to be like in the army, we call it a barrack room lawyer. Right where everybody thinks they know the law. They know the law. Yeah, I, I've got yeah. access to these brilliant minds, so I ask them very good questions. And sometimes I I go off on these weird tangents, and and the lawyers sit me down, calm me down, and say, "Look, this is really what it's about." Mm -hmm. Um, and and that has been really really interesting for me. So when I got up and I or when I watched uh, his close or his exit with uh, mm -hmm. the OPP, right. uh, I thought it was yeah. brilliant. Right, mm -hmm. I, I understood where he was going with it. And, and it's hard to kind of unpack if you're not kind of getting the background explanation. Mm -hmm. um, but what I can say with that is that it was a, I had learned uh, where Brendan was going to go with this mm -hmm. just before he actually got up there and, uh, and did his cross with uh, the OPP. Mm -hmm. And I, I like, if I could have went and made popcorn and sat there and had popcorn and drank pop, like yeah. it, it would have been like watching Top Gun for the fourth time. <laughs> no, it was such a great moment, Alexa. <laughs> it was great. It's just because I have the impression that a lot of them, uh, a lot of people were on the ground working, um, didn't know the impact that their decision or what they will say or what they will write, what mm -hmm. it will be mm -hmm. the impact of it. And I think now it's just exploding in, in his face, saying like, oh, mm -hmm. you did that? Boom, that happened. And it just like probably gets shocked, saying like, oh, oh, uh, at that time, I was not really aware that mm -hmm. what I would say will have as much consequences on what mm -hmm. is going on. And when we look at the three witnesses just today, a lot of them were not aware of so many different topics of what was happening on the ground. So how, without knowing all these information, you are capable to write and to be sure of what you are mm -hmm. writing is, is, is okay. Because you have a lack of information that is missing. You cannot like take a, mm -hmm. um, a rational decision, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think yeah. from, from this club, I have three, I know, I know we got to get off in, no. uh, in just shortly, but from this club, I think there's, there's a few things that we can talk about. So, you know, his face at the end, I think it went back to <laughs> yeah. what you said earlier that he was shocked about the fact that the parliament didn't listen to him, that the cabinet did not listen to him. And I think it goes through that maybe he wasn't as bad as the other bad guys that are in. That yeah, are in and, I, and, and, you know, there was another instance uh, where he was speaking about the night that they raided Coventry. 
And right. From what I heard the testimony where he, he actually mm-hmm. advised against it. And I remember, and I'm not going to, I won't el- elaborate further because it'll, it'll likely come out in my testimony next week. So I don't want to kind of give that piece away. Don't do um, it. But I, his read of the situation um, in his vice advice before Coventry, I think was he read the situation perfectly mm-hmm. and he made that known to the OPS. And again, the OPS leadership had no will to, to do anything other mm-hmm. than exercise, uh, force. And, and let me qualify that too. There's a certain, um, OPS officer that his name keeps coming up. Uh, he has not been called to the witness list and, and that may or may not change, but this particular individual seems to be somebody who had a very, uh, strong orientation towards aggressive, uh, police, response. Interesting. And so he may or may not be called. And I, I don't want to be dramatic or anything like that, but his name keeps coming up, but he's not on the list. Um, but he ultimately was the one uh, running the show, making the mm-hmm. final decision on whether or not to go into um, to Coventry. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that very interesting because the OPP had actually, from what I heard today, uh, was recommending against the night they went in and raided Coventry for all that fuel. And I do want to say uh, they stole fuel. And uh, what's interesting is the day before they stole the fuel, we had the city fire inspector come and look at it. Oh, yeah? And then the day after they stole the fuel, the inspectors came back again and looked at the fuel. So mm-hmm. why they felt like this was such a hot potato that they had to, to yeah, move on right away. Huge, yeah. yeah. And, and we also had, uh, so people understand, we've also had actual inspections from the electrical safety authority on a big hydro panel that we set up with generators and that's what we they were using for electricity yeah. in the parking lot and it was inspected we paid for it and passed an electrical safety authorities inspection mm-hmm. so yeah. when they talk about safety and fuel storage and all that stuff it's it's categorically false and we do have the proof oh, it's, it's all it's all political for sure and there's one thing that i wanted to throw at uh regarding the last clip, you know, later on uh, the GCCF lawyer asked uh, Mr. Baudin, had negotiations up to that point been handled differently? The situation could have been different. Do you agree with that? Baudin said yes. Later on at the same same testimony, he was asked the same question, basically in a different format, but was asked the same thing once again. And he did agree that had negotiations actually occurred, the situation could have been handled differently without the Emergencies Act. So had the cabinet actually listened to the OPP recommendations, the situation would have been handled a lot differently according to mm-hmm. this witness. Listen, it's 7, 7 p.m. right now. We have another interesting guest coming on uh, afterwards. So I guess we'll just throw to a little little ad. Thanks for joining us again today, Tom. And we'll definitely see each other shortly. Definitely. In pickup trucks, which is a different vehicle, which is a weapon in itself, but the, the weaponized description to me is really the rigs who take space on, on, the, on the street and, and make noise through the horns that you've shown in video, the fumes. That's the description of the weapon, is that that, that truck took space on the road, plus uh, a number of microaggressions. I'll, I describe them as microaggressions. All these microaggressions... Hey! 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 Hey!
plus uh, a number of microaggressions. I'll, I describe them as microaggressions. All these microaggressions. Hey folks, from October 13th to November 25th, we are here in Ottawa for the Emergencies Act inquiry organized by the Public Order Emergency Commission. But why, why the Emergencies Act inquiry? Well, because during the Freedom Convoy back in February, Justin Trudeau used a never invoked before Emergencies Act to basically seize protesters' bank accounts, seize protesters' money, seize their assets, trample their civil liberties. So we're here this month for the next month and a half to figure out if the way the government acted was lawful and was appropriate. So we are here to hold the government accountable, but we need your help. We are here to cover it for you because everyone else here is mainstream media. So if you want to help us cover it, if you want to help us bring you the other side of the story, factual, actual news, go to truckercommission.com and consider making a donation. If people, and assuming there were demonstrators who wanted to continue a lawful demonstration because their aims had not been yet achieved, was there an option made available to them somewhere, some way to do that? I think I think during it, sir, like there was opportunities every day for people to take part in lawful, peaceful, safe demonstrations. And, uh, and Throughout it, there was not people saying, okay, let's go and we're going to go here. And so when people were leaving, right, so not everyone got arrested, right? Like you can go anywhere, but you just can't be on the street here, right? So if you'd like, walk that way, go over there, whatever. And if someone wanted to set up on a, you know, wherever, I'm sure there would potentially be an intervention or whatever, or a conversation or whatever. But as long as it was lawful, peaceful, safe, I don't really know if anyone would have done anything about it. But that being said, I understand that it was such a dire, dire need to clear and regain those streets that they need to return it to a, a state of normalcy. We're back, back here again in Ottawa with uh, Angelica, Angelica Toy, one of our people from Alberta. How are you doing today, Angelica? Doing good, thank you. Good, great. So Angelica is going to also be covering uh, everything that's happening here in Ottawa with you, Alexa, as well. Uh, you're going to be here for the whole week, right? You're going to be covering everything for the whole week. Are you talking to me? <laughs> to you, yeah. <laughs> um, we say, and I we see. I'm actually like as available to cover as much as possible because I was on the ground since the whole month. The same after like the convoy was dismantled, I was still there and I was still observing what is uh, what's happening with the police and uh, the, the red zone that they call in the. Uh, so I, I, hi Angelica. I never had the chance to meet you in person. <laughs> so, um, what what did you tell so far? Like, I don't know uh, if you were like you or you were probably aware that, uh, about the freedom convoy in Ottawa. But uh, what what did you tell to see what happened in Ottawa and what is happening now in this uh, inquiry about the emergency? Um, so I only got to see um, what Ottawa looked like through uh, uh, media, through my friends who were there. Um, and what I saw was just a bunch of Canadians um, who were completely peaceful. I mean, there were videos of them dancing in the streets and feeding the homeless. Um, uh, they were putting gl uh, warm gloves on uh, people who were cold. And it was just a big, loving community mm -hmm. who were there to, um, you know, fight for their ability to survive because a lot of those people they um they had nothing to lose so that's why they were there um they had no choice because the government put them in a very um tough position 
Um, and right now, um, I'm seeing, um, you know, the evidence come out that there was no violence. Um, we've, you know, we've heard it many times, um, only feelings of violence, which obviously does not, um, uh, fall under the, uh, section two of the CSIS act. So, um, it's nice to see the truth uh, of that finally come out. Um, but I'm still pretty disappointed, um, in the emergencies act because it's obvious here that, it wasn't necessary as they were able to make negotiations as we saw with uh, Marcel Bowden. Mm -hmm. um, he was able to make negotiations uh, to remove people from Confederation Park. Mm -hmm. So and I, th I think you were able to catch Marcel Bowden earlier. Yeah. I don't know if we can throw to that clip with, with some, we can see that you had the chance to ask him a question earlier. Oh yeah. Protest sites during the negotiation. Um, do you think that the actions of the federal government um, invoking the Emergencies Act that ended that ability? Once again, uh, you were part of a team that cleared up protest sites uh, through negotiation. Do you think that the actions of the federal government invoking the Emergencies Act ended that ability? Uh, there's, I know there's an OPP media person that you could probably reach out to mm -hmm. if you reach out to Bill Dixon. Okay, thank you. So, so how was it, you know, I know since the beginning of the Emergencies Act inquiry, I've always been asking questions. How was it feeling? How did you feel being the one having the microphone actually going after, after him? Um, to be honest, um, I just, I wanted, you know, my, my question answered, you know, I saw him right away and I was like, like, Hey man, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to know because, um, they were there on scene and ultimately they're the ones who know, uh, know the truth. So, yeah. No, definitely, definitely interesting. Yeah, and yeah, you're, mm -hmm. you're more polite than I will be because uh, with his answer about the fact that the dismantle was uh, professional and pretty well made mm. and no really um, use of overpower from the police have uh, been done. Mm -hmm. I would have said that were you aware that some people were beat up and I'm not talking just about men but women as well did you aware that some people were pepper spray um shot in the legs like uh, have you been aware of that or you just listen what you just saw through media mm -hmm. because I'm not sure I'm not sure it was actually on the ground there that that these two days and I was I'm really curious where he take his information from yeah, and talking once again from underground journalism, underground experiencing. I know Alexa, you were underground February during the throughout the whole Freedom Convoy, and earlier we 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 heard the third witness um, of the day. I believe his name is uh, Superintendent Bernie. Talk about the allegations that the that the, um, the 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 protesters came to Ottawa to quote unquote take over the capital. Is that what you were feeling when you when you were walking around talking to people? Or, or no. the capital. So the people were there, most of the people were uh, surrounding their trucks for like making sure that their truck was okay. Um, and the other people were volunteering to feed uh, the other people around, make sure that they were okay, shoveling the snow, that nobody injured themselves and taking like all the garbage from the street for making sure that the street was clean so that people will see them as a, you know good citizen because they were not there for creating like any damage of the city or anything they were just there for asking and requesting the lifting of the mandate 
And same if everybody was coming from different walk of life, they were there for the common goal to just see their life back being normal again. And thinking mm-hmm. thinking over the capital? No, I don't think so. No, no not the people I actually witnessed so far yeah. yeah well i think we have spoke to a lot of people and we don't have a lot of time left there's two things that i want to make sure that we touch on before we leave this live stream angelica you're from alberta we're actually being taken over right now we've got two people in the airbnb that are from from the great province of alberta compared to one from ontario yeah. and one from quebec so kian i know you're listening um but angelica you're from alberta and we know that the solicitor of Alberta throughout the first day of the of the testimony of the of the of the emergency act inquiry showed her opposition to the use of the emergency act to, inv- to the invocation of the emergencies act. How from your what you've been able to witness in Alberta, how are the people in Alberta feeling about the use of the emergencies act? Because we know you also had the coups blockade right there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, from what I witnessed, people are are pretty upset. Um, I remember um, witnessing the protests that broke out um, in support of the Ottawa convoy, when, um, especially when they invoked the Emergencies Act, and the numbers grew large. I remember there was at least like 25,000 people marching in the streets, mm-hmm. and people were very, very upset about that because um, it was obvious that it was unnecessary. Yeah, the emergency, 100%. A great segue from that, Alberta. We all know Justin Trudeau doesn't like Alberta. In fact, in the past, Justin Trudeau once said that the country belongs to Quebecers when he was running uh, with, the, with the Liberal Party. He says that it would be better if the government had more Quebecers in the government instead of Albertans. Uh, and Justin Trudeau, our national drama teacher today, spoke about the emergency. Uh, he spoke about Doug Ford and his relationship with Doug Ford uh, throughout the Freedom Convoy and before the invocation of the emergencies act inquiry can we show what our great drama teacher had to say <laughs> your reaction to premier ford fighting the summons to appear before the emergency commission should he appear i will let the emergency commission manage its own witnesses uh, for my part i was glad to offer to go uh, as soon as we called the commission because it was an automatic part of when you invoke the emergencies act uh, you make sure that there's a public inquiry to look at why it's done and that's exactly why we called it and that's exactly why i'm looking forward to appearing but i will say it was uh, it was important that different orders of government were able to work together and uh, premier ford and i worked together well on uh, on uh, delivering uh, a uh, return to normal for the citizens of ottawa and people across the country that's not what the transcript said like how uh, you said that he was out to lunch he wasn't there we have seen uh, we've seen over the course of this inquiry a lot of different events happen at different times and yes there were times when our different orders of government weren't as aligned as we would have liked to be uh, but it's obvious that premier force chose to stand with people of ottawa people of ontario people of canada uh, and not with others Merci beaucoup tout le monde. You know, there's two things from what Justin Trudeau said right here. You know, the first thing, our government called uh, for the emergencies like inquiry, but we all know that the inquiry is something that is forced to be done after the emergencies act is, invo- is, is invoked to make sure there's no authoritarian leader, Justin Trudeau, that would invoke it unjustifiably and unnecessarily. So that's that's one of the lies, well, not the lies, but a bizarre thing that Justin Trudeau said uh, right here. Another thing also, we see Justin Trudeau always campaigning with Doug Ford. In fact, while Doug Ford was running to be the the premier of of Ontario, Justin Trudeau was at multiple of his events. We we almost felt like he was campaigning with Ford, for for Ford. Um, So definitely a bizarre 
bizarre thing. And I, I really hope that, that uh, Doug Ford will be summoned and will appear in front of the committee. But in the same time, like uh, now that we know that the police have like most of the power for doing what they say that they claim that they needed the Emergencies Act for doing their job, when we know that they were able to do it anyway without having it. And I don't know if you remember, but the Emergencies Act was voted on a Monday after like the weekend mm -hmm. of the dismantle act passed. And I think it stands for less than 24 hours after that they drop it afterwards. So mm -hmm. the question remains on, did you really need the Emergence, Emergencies Act to be approved to justify the action that been made during the two day of dismantle? Because mm -hmm. for, for having it done, like, I don't know if you recall, how strong was their position on the need on the, that Monday mm -hmm. of the Emergencies Act for afterwards mm -hmm. dropping it after less than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. the, the question remains, why it was so important 24 hours before dropping it mm -hmm. to have this Emergencies Act being voted? Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. It, it, as I said, I'm super interested to see what Doug Ford had seen, how he can justify being, calling himself a conservative and standing with Justin Trudeau when it comes to trampling on the civil liberties of peaceful protesters that came here to protest the federal government's uh, COVID-19 mandates and basically the the federal government as a whole in general. Well, our time is almost up. Do we have any paid oh. chats that we can read on on air? Do we have Perfect. Some? Let's mm -hmm. yeah. Let's take a look at them. Well, I'll, I'll give you the honor of, of reading it, Alexa. Gwen Dolini Young, seven dollars. Thank you, <laughs> Alexa. Is it hard for you to be part of this after everything that you have through with the police? Uh, I would say it's like throwing back in the days and uh, remembering, but. The, the convoy was an amazing experience of knowledge and like experience of of life and i would say that mm -hmm. it's not hard for me because make everything that i passed through there make me mm -hmm. more strong and uh, i my knowledge about all these uh, experience grew mm -hmm. grew me up so i think i think for me it's actually good that i'm here for learning and for hurting what the people have to say about it and i am mm -hmm. one of the best person to to say when it's wrong when what they mm -hmm. say it was actually wrong of what i was able to see on the ground yeah and you know i haven't heard one single witness so far talk about the fact that you were shot in the leg by no, an officer they was not. There? not a single one but they love to talk about microaggressions they love to talk oh, about yeah. phantom honking they love to talk about Feelings that got hurt, of course. We have another paid chat. Razor, I let you say that one. Oh, sure. I like, oh, all in capital. I like millions of other Canadians can't, can't wait for the next elections to get rid of self of that WEF child actor, Trudeau, and his liberal party. I hope it happens. I hope, I hope that we see some change in, in the government. Child actor, I like this one. I might use the next one instead of national <laughs> drama teacher. Yeah, I'll see if Sheila lets me lets me say it. 
Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I think I think that's pretty much pretty much it for tonight. Well, we're already past the time that we were supposed to 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 be at. Thank you for everyone that joined us tonight. Thank you for joining me uh, as you. well, Angelica, and thank you for Alex for your hard work uh, today, watching everything that was happening. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good right, night. Have a great evening. Est-ce que je peux est-ce que je peux répéter me répéter non, en anglais? So, let me just let me just let, let me just let, let me just let me just um, repeat my answer in English. So, you know, I really believe that we are in a very challenging time economically in Canada and also in the world. And all you have to do is look across the Atlantic uh, to see how important at in challenging moments like today institutional stability is for a country. Canada is the country of peace, order, and good government. That is very, very valuable, and it is more valuable today than ever. From my perspective, institutional stability very much includes the independence of the Bank of Canada,